Perfect. Good morning, church. Just going to get out in front of this and apologize for sounding like Aunt Patty from The Simpsons this morning. Um, I, I feel great, but I had a cold early in the week. And then I got a little too excited, had a nine-year-old basketball game on Friday night, and I'm paying for it all weekend. So, uh, sorry I don't sound great, and also sorry for at least two or three disgusting coughs along the way here, Um, but the Lord will be gracious to us and uh, meet us here despite my uh, lack of beauty in my voice this morning. Uh, So, but again, good to see you all here this morning. Uh, We're going to read from Mark 1, uh, verses 1 through 8, and I just want to say I love, I love this time of year. Uh, I know that this is, there's a lot going on, and um, and everybody's schedule is very full, um, but it's a beautiful time where we kick off the church calendar and lean into this idea of waiting. We light candles, uh, which are significant. Uh, We spend more time in community together with lots of different um, opportunities to gather. And I would just say, like, lean in to this. Uh, Lean in as best you can. Uh, Somebody sent me a meme that said, um, according to my chocolate advent calendar, it's weird, it's already December 22nd. Um, So maybe some of you have, like, already leaned in a little too much. Um, But uh, if you are behind on your advent readings, it's okay. Uh, You can, just like Lily taught us last week, just start again. Uh, The Lord's not mad at you. Um, but lean into an opportunity to grow this season. But uh, without further ado, here is the Gospel of Mark, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness... Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your Bible, for the Holy Scripture that we place over our heads and we submit under. We don't come to the Scripture to pick and choose what we like, the passages we want to abide by, but we come to you, asking you to make us into men and women who look like Jesus, using the word of God to do so. Convict us of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit. Remind us of your love this morning. Redirect 
us into our callings or back into our callings where we have strayed, where we've gotten anxious in our waiting, bring us peace through your word. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for those that are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are struggling with deep sin, those who are struggling financially, those who are struggling with their housing. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray for breakthrough where there are seemingly dead ends. I pray for softness in relationships where bitterness and hardness of heart have built up. Father, may we be Christ as we grow in our Christ-likeness and our understanding of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we walk through this season of Advent, part of our instruction, part of our calling, our invitation is to get lost in the story. Every year the story is not new. It's the same story we read again and again and again. It's the story of agony and courage of a young pregnant woman traveling 80-ish miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem while eight to nine months pregnant. A husband-to-be unmarried but committed to fulfilling his call to care for this woman and their unborn baby. We lean into the waiting of the story. The unknowns that they experience, really the unknowns that all the people of God were experiencing in this time of history leading up to that first advent. The promises of God were not unclear from the Old Testament, but the means, the process, left the people of God with, with space, space to trust as well as to struggle to trust space to wait, space to look ahead, look around, and look to God. And we name this every year, the Advent, the arrival of Jesus. God made flesh and moved into the neighborhood, and it parallels where we are today, waiting on the second Advent for Christ to come back. So as we, as we lean into the story of Christ's birth, we see so many parallels with Mary and Joseph, but we also see it in the other Advent passages, like this morning with John the Baptist. We see a model for how he prepared for Christ's first arrival, and we should prepare for Christ's second. A man, a follower of God, confidently living out his calling. The man did not lack boldness, a model for us today. A man making much of Jesus, resisting the spotlight, a model for us today. A man eating bugs and wearing clothes made out of camel's hair, a model for us today. So maybe not everything is required from the model. Remember, some parts of the Bible are descriptive, not prescriptive. But this doesn't take away from the fact that John the Baptist, in this story, we do find a model for what it looks like to live a faithful life as we wait. And it really boils down to this. What John the Baptist did is he confidently lived out his calling, yet did so with the humility to point people not at himself, but at Jesus. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist knew what was expected of him, and no one would say he didn't lack courage to do it. There was a boldness. I mean, Scripture says he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He boldly called people out of their sin, out of the wrong they were doing, the ways that their actions were offensive to God, called them to own that and repent. Boldly follows his calling, but does so with the humility of knowing his own need for Jesus. What we see with John the Baptist is not an either-or of how to follow God, but we see a both-and. In a beautiful way, we see a courageous calling and a valiant humility. A willingness to follow Jesus and a desire to be like Jesus. Some of you in this room are some of the most holy people I know. Meaning that your character is incredibly mature. What I want you to see from this passage is that you know the Bible inside and out. No one questions your integrity, your personal holiness, but for some of you, when you read and picture John the Baptist preparing the way, what God is looking at you saying this morning is that he wants you to not only pursue holiness, but boldly follow in the calling he's placed on your life. And when I say this so often, our minds, your minds, my mind, goes to the idea of going into ministry. We think about John the Baptist and we think, oh, that's a passage that should apply to people like Pastor Drew or Pastor so-and-so. And for some of you, you need to hear this because God is calling you in to some sort of vocational ministry and by all means pursue this. However, this idea that your vocational ministry, only folks that have a vocational ministry, a job at a church, that's the only calling of a Christian. That is a, a heresy from the pits of hell. When we read passages like this, as well as all the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the bold disciples that left in pairs to share the gospel, we see men and women throughout Scripture that had bold callings on their lives. And those of you who are accountants, who are stay-at-home parents, who work in coffee shops, it doesn't mean that those passages apply any less to you. Every one of you in this room, whether you believe it or not, has a calling. And that calling, for all of us, looks like boldly loving people. For some of you, it looks like boldly pursuing business to the glory of God. For some of you, it looks like saying yes to God's calling to go back to school, but you're scared and it's just more comfortable to stay where you are. For some of you, it's to apply for that job or pursue foster care or to become an advocate for the vulnerable in our city. The list goes on and on and on. And I don't know what that is for you, but there's a boldness in John the Baptist that should apply to all of us. And therefore, again, when we are just committed to only our holiness, 
without the courage to follow, we miss out on that calling. But the interesting part about this, what we see with John the Baptist, the both and, the flip side of this is when we are courageous, when we do say yes, but we do so without a desire to be like Jesus, we risk damaging ourselves as well as the people in our path. For some of us in this room, you've heard the call to follow Jesus boldly. Maybe you're drawn to the passages of Scripture to give sacrificially, to share the gospel, to love the poor, care for the needy. Yet Galatians 5 remains unread and the fruits of the Spirit remain a distant thought in your mind. A few years ago, my wife and I, as well as some of our friends, we took our kids skiing for the first time. Drove up to North Carolina, but before we went, I was thinking back to when my parents took me skiing for the first time. We went one time as a family during my childhood. My mom, my dad, my brother and I, my brother was 11, I was 9, and as I thought about getting ready to take my kids skiing, I was flooded back with the memories of first learning how to ski. And so I called my dad on the phone as I was remembering this. And I said, Dad, do you remember when you and Mom first took us skiing? And as I recall, Dad, you and Mom divided up responsibilities. And Mom took Jason, my older brother, and Dad, you took me. Mom was responsible for teaching my brother. You were responsible for teaching me. And as I remember, Dad, Mom very sensibly took my older brother to the bunny slopes, which are kind of the, the small hills of the mountain. She took him to the bunny slopes, and I remember watching him, and they very slowly got off the, the ski lift, and then Mom put her skis like a pizza slice, slowly taught my brother to just wedge his way down the mountain. So Dad and I saw this happening, and as I remember, I said, Dad, as I remember this, you looked up and said, what a waste of time. We're going to go on up the mountain. And as I recall, Dad, we got off the lift, you pointed me down the mountain, and you gave me three instructions. You said, you're going to put your skis, Drew, like two french fries, parallel to each other, you're going to keep your weight over your skis, and if you get to the bottom and you can't stop, you find the biggest person you can see, and you just run into them. And I remember this going really well, and I said, Dad, I plan to, to confidently instruct my kids the same way. Thank you for this. There was a deep pause on the phone on the other end, and Dad said, Drew, that was one of the scariest days of my life. <laughs> he says, yes, I did give you those instructions, but I had a whole long list of other instructions on how to slow down, how to go back and forth. But as soon as you heard, make sure to run into the biggest guy at the bottom of the mountain, you were just gone. You'd take off, he said. Drew, you'd take off, and I couldn't keep up. It's a huge mountain. 
And as I went down the mountain, terrified that I'd lost my nine-year-old son, I knew that there were three ways to find you. As I learned that morning, one, you were just in pieces, and skis were off because you'd fallen so hard that your skis were off to the distance. I'd find you that way. Or I would hear a string of four-letter words from adults yelling at that out-of-control kid coming down the mountain, or if I did make it down the mountain without finding you, I would see some seven-car pileup of skiers at the bottom. Couldn't see you, but I knew you not only were there, but you caused that huddle of people at the bottom. He said, Drew, this was, you did learn this way, but that was not the full instruction. And as a new skier, I didn't lack courage. There was not a lack of confidence in my nine-year-old self on how to get down the mountain. But as my dad and now I understand, I did lack knowledge. I lacked practice. I lacked wisdom. I lacked a willingness to listen to instruction. My eagerness, my excitement to follow what I thought was, this is my calling, this is what I'm called to do here, go down this mountain, It blinded me to the necessary wisdom. And the result of this, as I think back, and really, as my dad, I don't even remember this, but as my dad politely explained, Drew, you are not only endangering yourself, you're endangering all those folks up on that mountain. And when I think about this, I think about the fact that when we look at a passage like John the Baptist and we say, we're going to go. We're going to do great things for God. But we do so lacking the wisdom of Scripture and lacking the willingness to be formed into people who are like Christ. We not only run the risk of damaging ourselves, we also run the risk of damaging the people around us. So what are we called to do from this passage? We're called to confidently live out our calling with the humility to point people not to ourselves but at Jesus. But the thing is that we don't do this by simply trying to be like John the Baptist. The way we do this is the same way that John the Baptist did, by fixing our eyes not on the mirror of how do I become more bold, how do I become more humble, but we look to God. We place our eyes on Jesus. Mark 1, 4 through 6 says, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Brothers and sisters, this concept of baptism, we read that and we're like, okay, I get it. I have a picture for that. These folks came to John the Baptist. They heard the call to repentance. They repented and were baptized in the name of Christ, looking ahead to Christ's coming and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But this concept of baptism, though not new, was different than what these folks had ever heard before. The concept of being cleansed by water was not a new thing for the people of God. Jewish people practiced baptism, kind of a traditional act of purification. 
as an initiation of new converts into Judaism. The origins of baptism go all the way back probably to the, the scripture in Leviticus of priests performing their priestly duties and prior to that, washing themselves. A ceremonial cleansing before God. So what was significant about this? You see, unlike all those Old Testament ceremonial cleansings, what's different about this is that John the Baptist is saying, you can't clean yourself. What he's saying in the act of baptism, he's saying, you have to come, and my job is to be the one to baptize you as a stand-in for the coming Jesus. Julie, you can come on up whenever you're ready. You see, unlike the Old Testament ceremonial cleansing, the difference was that now John was offering something that they could not perform on their own. And so when we think about how do we become more like John, the the breadcrumbs to this are all over Scripture. It's the gospel of Jesus that you are valuable enough We have confidence in the fact that we are valuable enough for Jesus to love us, yet sinful enough that we have to trust in that love. And it's not coming to you because you work hard enough. But we see in this baptism the same gospel truth that we see in communion, which we'll take in a few minutes every single week. Brothers and sisters, you confidently come to the table understanding you're valuable enough that Christ died on the cross, yet you come to the table because you're needy enough that he had to die on the cross for you. So we're grateful for the gospel that reminds us week in and week out. And when it sinks in, to the depth that it sinks in, may it give us the courage to follow Jesus while also giving us the humility that our own goodness is not the reason that he loves us. Therefore, we can and need to follow Jesus in our callings and trust that God will make us more like himself. In quoting John the Baptist, we will be a people that claim he must increase, but we must decrease. Let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful for the model of John the Baptist. And may we be a people who follow him with boldness. But may we be a people that understand that our faith only grows, not by trying harder, but by fixing our eyes on Jesus.